that you just open our hearts and our minds and help us to be receptive to your word and uh, we just pray that the Holy Spirit does his work in our hearts as the word is exposed to us and uh, Father I pray for myself that you guide me and, and use me as your vessel it's in Jesus name that I pray and give thanks amen all right let's uh, open our Bibles to John chapter 14 You know, it's, it's, it's pretty neat whenever um, you're preaching a topical message and the topics that, that are being brought up really apply to what's going on in, in our lives or life in general. I think it's really cool whenever you're walking through a book and um, every single Sunday there's application to be made from the text that you're walking through or, or preaching on. This goes to show us that God's word is, is, is good for all time in, in all occasions. And the reason why I mentioned that today is because um, I, I think uh, reading from John chapter 14 all the way through the rest of the, the rest of the gospel, actually, but just reading through John ch- chapter 14 just comes at the right time for us. And everything that uh, we are currently dealing with, all the chaos, all the uncertainty, all, all the just the craziness, for the lack of a better word, that we are dealing with in this world, uh, John chapter 14 comes at the right time. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and dive in. Let's read uh, verses 1 through 3 today. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would, have I, to- would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you uh, to myself, that where I am, you may also be, or you may be also. That is the word of the Lord. So uh, John 14 begins with a farewell address, and uh, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And uh, this farewell address goes from 14 all the way through chapter 17. So we're going to we're going to get to dive into what Jesus says right before he's arrested, tried, and crucified. Uh, but this farewell address is initially here is, is number one, it's to encourage the disciples. Um, and then also it's to inform them and to equip them for what's ahead. And so the encouragement comes first, obviously, because they, they need it here and now. And what's really cool about uh, John chapter 14 uh, through 17 is that this dialogue that Jesus is having with the disciples, there's no other gospel that goes into the detail that John goes into uh, with, with, this, with this farewell address. So there's a lot that, um, that we can glean from whenever we are reading through this. Now, for me, and I think a lot of people agree, uh, that it is safe to say that John chapter 14 is probably one of the most encouraging chapters in the whole Bible. Um, it, it just, if, if you haven't really like taking your time to read through it and just hang on every word, I, I would, I would, because it is extremely powerful and it's not the only one, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the most comforting and one of the most, uh, encouraging, uh, chapters that we can read. Um, and, uh, I'd like for you to try it, study it and go through it and, well, you're going you're gonna to get this opportunity to, to walk through it as we preach on it, so that's going to be good. But um, 
And as I said before, I think that the timing of John chapter 14 couldn't be better for us. Um, this verse that we have, are the passage that we've read today, verses 1 through 3, they point to the fact that even though we have trials of various kinds, and uh, that's really evident with what we deal with in our lives, day in, day out, the struggles, um, the loss, uh, the sin, you know, everything that we deal with, even though we have struggles of various kinds, we have a God who is, number one, who is faithful. And that's what this whole chapter will encourage us about, especially verses one through three, that he's faithful. And also we have a God who has made promises that are true. And what I mean by that is that they will come to pass. So the encouragement comes from, from those two things, that God is faithful and the promises he has made to us are true. And since they are true, then we can depend on them, we can have hope on them, and we can expect them. Um, now, the thing for us, though, is to understand what those promises are. Okay, that's, that's the important thing for, for us to do, and we'll do that today. So whatever trials that you are facing today, uh, my prayer for you is that as we go through not only verses 1 through 3, but as we continue to go through uh, John chapter 14, that, that God shows you who he is in his sovereignty, who he is in, in his mighty works, and what he is doing in not only your life, but also throughout the world, how he's making and willing everything to conform to, um, you know, his will, his glory, and his honor. So that's, that's kind of my prayer for you as we get started. But today we're going to see how Christ is our greatest hope. And, um, and let's go ahead and just dive in. John chapter 14, first thing I want to look at is, is how Jesus encourages the disciples. Um, this, he, he calms their hearts. That's the way I'd like to describe it. Um, I, I see a lot of chaos in their lives at this certain point in time. A lot has been really just dropped on them. And I like the way John begins chapter 14 because these are like, like soothing words of comfort uh, for his disciples uh, just because of, of they need it, but also what they've been through and what he said they're going to go through. And let's think about that. Let's think about what's recently been, been revealed to them leading up to this point. Uh, verses 21 through 30, we have to remember that Jesus revealed that Judas would betray them or betray him. Now, let's think of how impactful that is. Think of your, if you've ever had a group of friends and, and everybody is close, think of one of those friends betraying either basically all the whole group and how impactful that would be to you. And, you, and, and even with the disciples and what's going on here, they still really didn't get it. They just knew that Judas would betray Christ. In essence, he would betray them as well. So they were dealing with that. Uh, second of all, verses 31 through 35, Jesus tells the disciples that um, he will be, he's only going to be with them a little while longer. Like he's been preparing them the whole time. Well, the time has come now. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm only going to be here a little while longer you're going to seek me, but you're not going to find me. Now, imagine, imagine that happening to someone, you know, if you're a disciple and Christ is your Messiah, he's your teacher. Uh, he, is, he is the one that you have basically, your, your whole life has revolved around the last two years following Christ and learning from him. And he's, he's going to be gone. And you're trying to work that out in your head. And then verses 36 through 38, Jesus foretells Peter's denial. Now, you, you, okay, so you already, you're dealing with one of the group betraying you. Now, 
the guy who seems to be the leader of the disciples and who's the most outspoken, the one who they go to a lot, other than Christ, of course, well, he's going he's gonna to fall. And Jesus has already said, no, you're going to deny me. You're going to fall. So then you have all that, and then you have what Jesus is pointing towards, his arrest, his, his, his trial, his crucifixion, and, and, and his death. So you have all this stuff. And if, if you would just step into their shoes, you would just imagine, like, what in the world is going on here? Like, I thought we were supposed to establish a kingdom here on earth, and we were going to rule with Jesus. And it's just not working out. And everything they thought is just really, just really breaking apart. So you can see the, the, the turmoil that they are facing and, and how Jesus is calming their hearts here and really explaining what's going on. Um, but I like to point out that it's important for us to notice that although Jesus' trials through all this is greater than theirs, he is the one who is comforting them. I mean, because everything is happening to Christ. He's just letting them know of what's going on. And, and he is the one who is comforting them. And it's awesome because that is a picture of our God. That's what he does. He comforts us. Why? Well, because he's God and, and we're his creatures. We're his children. He's the shepherd. We're his sheep. The designation is, 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 is clear at, at that point. God can comfort us. In fact, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, he says that, that, that God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. Now, that's a verse that's typically read at funerals, and rightfully so. To lose someone is, is, is great affliction. It's, it's, it's great sorrow. And we need to know that in our greatest affliction, our greatest sorrow, our, our greatest failures, that God is comforting us. Why? Because he is the God of all comfort. So just as Jesus comforted the disciples with their affliction, Christ comforts us in our affliction. And how is this done? Well, it's done through the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, whom we have been blessed by, who Christ sent so that we would not be alone. So just in that, we can say amen, we can celebrate, and, and we can have confidence and hope and encouragement in what God is doing in our lives because he has not left us nor abandoned us. He is with us, and he is guiding us every day, giving us comfort, in our deepest, our deepest uh, and darkest uh, points of our lives. So, in the midst of all this, though, the disciples, in their darkest valley up to this point, listen to what Jesus tells them. Like, I, I, I hope I, I clearly, like, painted the picture for you of what's going on. Their deepest, darkest valley so far, and Jesus just looks at them, and I can just imagine him smiling, and it says, do not let your hearts Notice he didn't say, everything's going to be okay. That's one of the things we like to say to each other. And it, it, just, it just rolls off our tongue. When someone's going through something bad, you're just going to be like, oh, everything's going to be okay. And in the long run, that might be true. But Jesus did not make any promises about them not suffering, them not going through anything. He just said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And that's how he starts this word of encouragement. Now, these are words that we should all take to heart 
These are words that we should all remember in times of uncertainty and in times of doubt. And then after saying these, Jesus addresses three comforts that, that um, he, he gives the disciples three comforts that they should think about, remember, and place their hope in um, because they belong to him. And these three comforts are, are something that we need to cherish and remember too as we go through life every single day. So comfort number one, after he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, uh, he, he tells them to, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. In your version, it might say, trust in God, trust also in me. Now, Jesus follows an imperative with another imperative and indicative. And let me explain by that. Uh, or excuse me, an indicative and then an imperative. An indicative is a statement of truth. It's, it's just plain. This is what it is. And Jesus says, you believe in God. And he's speaking to them. He's telling them, look, I know you believe in God, right? So that's true for them. But as we look at ourselves today, as we are a body of believers, that's true for us too. We do. We believe in God. So that's a statement of truth. That's an indicative. But then we have the imperative. And the imperative is a command to practice. So you have a statement of truth and then you are you have a command to practice. And both of those are combined here in this statement. You believe in God. And then the way we can read that statement is since you believe in God, then also believe in me. So Jesus is saying, look, you believe in God. Now believe in me as you believe in God. And that's that's what he wants us to do. And there's great comfort in that. We have to understand that, that there's great comfort. Look, we have, uh, Christians have a kind of comfort that no one else does. Why? Because we have Christ. If we didn't have Christ, we couldn't have that comfort that we have. Because it's not good enough just to believe in the Father. You have to believe in the Son as well. And obviously we know that you have to believe in the Spirit as well. So for us to have the Son is for us to have the Father. Without the Son, we can't have the Father. And we have to realize that, and that's what Jesus is saying. You believe in God, well, believe also in me. Now, this statement is profound, and it lies, uh, it, li- it, it basically, um, and in it lies the reason why our hearts should never be troubled, because we have Christ. Now, I, I think that's important for us to realize because that's something that we kind, of, we kind of just skip over whenever we're going through something. Whenever we have doubt, whenever there's failure, whenever there's sin, whenever there's suffering, anything like that, like we, we go straight to the worst. At least I do. I, I'm not, I struggle with positivity. I like to say I'm real, but I'm real negative. But the fact is, is that this because I, I really have to take my time to think about like what's going on and who I have. Because our initial reaction is just like, oh, man, or, you know, just something worse than that. But that's why prayer is so important. For us to just stop for a moment, take our eyes off of the issue, take our eyes off of the problem and set our eyes on Christ. 
because that's what we have been commanded to do. Now, let me ask you this. How often have you done that? How often have you taken your eyes off the issue, the trouble, and set your eyes on Christ and spent some time with your Savior, just pouring things at his feet, knowing, knowing that he is faithful and true? And the promises he, he has made to you is that is, 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 they're, they're awesome, they're wonderful, and through these promises, he is telling you, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, that's interesting because what does it mean to believe in him as we believe in God? Well, that means that, first of all, we must believe that he is God, that he is holy, that he is sovereign. Um, that, that is essential. We must believe that he is God. Second of all, if we are going to believe in him as we believe in God, or if I can put it another way, if we're going to believe in the Son as we believe in the Father, then we must believe that the Son is able to save us. That in him we have life and we have life to the full. And that it is through him and only through him that we are able to get to the Father. That's something else that we're going to talk about here in John chapter 14. So that he is able to save us. That means that we must believe that he is greater than, than, than anything that we can face, even our own sin. That, that his blood is greater than our deepest, darkest sin. He is able to save us. Even people who are wretched like us, he is able to save us. We must also believe that he is able to sustain us. Now, this is where it gets hard. There are so many people who believe that God is able to save them, but when it comes time to believing that God can sustain them, they fall apart. They fall apart because they don't realize that God directs our lives and he also directs the things that happen in our lives and he directs them for his honor and for his glory. And we must remember that Yes, he is able to save us, but he is also able to sustain us. He is, he is able to protect us, to provide for us. He is able to give us everything we need for life and godliness. He is able to grow us as Christians. He is able to do all that. And we must believe that. Not only that, but he is able to keep us. He has never lost any one of his sheep, and he never will. Even though there are times when we feel like we're lost, if we are his, we are his, we are not lost. He has his eyes on us all the time. He knows where his sheep are. He knows what his sheep are going through. And remember, he is faithful and true. And we must also believe that he is able to deliver us. And what I mean by deliver us, I mean that in the end, he has said that we are going to be with him, that he is going to come back for us, that we will be glorified. We must believe him and know that he is able to deliver us. There's probably a whole lot of other things that we can talk about how we should believe in Christ as we believe in God. But that's, that's I hope I, give you, I gave you a sense of what that means. It just doesn't mean like, okay, well, I, I call him God. No, you have to believe in him as God because he is God. 
So the same that you think about the father, you have to think about the son. And that's exactly what he's getting to. And when we start thinking about the son and what we have in the son, then that brings us great comfort. Believing Christ as we should, as I said, gives us comfort and encouragement. And when we fail to honor him as God, this, this is when we shrink back in fear and discouragement. So I'm here to tell you that when you have an issue, when you have a problem, when you have a worry and anxiety, take your eyes off the problem, put your eyes on Christ. Go to him, start with him, because he is faithful and true. All right, comfort number two. He tells us in verse, uh, he tells the disciples and us in verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? I'm giving myself a pat on the back there because that is the hardest thing to read in verse two. The way it's worded, I, I was able to read it and not mess up. So miracles still happen. All right, so in my father's house are many rooms. Listen, that is a great comfort. That's like, that, that's like one of those statements, once you read over it, you just like read through it, and you really don't get, the, uh, you don't get the gravity of the statement, you don't get the strength of the statement, you don't understand what is being said until you go back and read it again. See, that is the second comfort that is found, and, and it's awesome because in God's house, so to speak, in God's house, there are many rooms. Well, what is that? How is that comforting? Well, listen, he says that there are many rooms. And those rooms were reserved for us. That's a huge comfort. There are many rooms and these rooms were reserved for members of his church for members of his body. Now, just think, Jesus is telling a denier, and he's also telling uh, deserters. One denier and the rest of them deserters. Why? Because that's exactly what they did whenever he went to the cross. Peter denied him, everybody else deserted him. So he is telling them, and he knows this already, obviously. He is telling a denier, and he is also telling deserters, that he has a place reserved for them in heaven. What does that tell you? It tells you that God is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. It tells you that the disciples were just like us. In fact, they were sinners just like us. And if God has a place for them, what does that mean? He has a place for us. He has a place for us. Why? Not because of what we've done, but because in whom we have placed our faith, because of what he has done for us. So he has a place for us, and that is extremely encouraging. Now, um, we go from time to time, we go on different trips, and my wife does a great job of finding a bargain. I, I, I completely let her go. I just let her know that, hey, we have this money, we have this much to take a trip. And I just let her work her magic, and she is great at it. And there are some places where we have stayed. I walk in, and I'm looking around, and I know, I know that if I had to pay full price for it, there ain't no way that I'd be staying there. 
And I think we can all relate. Sometimes we find a great deal and you walk in and you're just like, mm, yeah, this is really nice. If, if, I, if I had to pay what it costs, what it really costs to stay here without any kind of discounts or anything, I, I, I probably wouldn't be here. Or you get a sense of, mm, maybe I don't belong in this place. I'd like for us to have that perspective about, about heaven, about the room that is reserved for us. When we get there, we're going to think, they made a mistake. They made a mistake. This cannot be true. This is too much. You ever receive something that's too much and you just really, it takes you a while to process it. You can't really handle it and it humbles you. When we open our eyes in heaven, that's going to be the feeling we get. This is too much. There's no way. There's no way that a place like this has been reserved for me. That's the great comfort that Christ gives us. This is the picture that we should have in our minds concerning the place that God has reserved for us in heaven. And listen, we'll understand that this place that we have in heaven, it was free for us, but it was not free. It was not free. There was a great price that was paid. It was paid by the blood of the Lamb. And it is in his blood that not only do we have a reservation in heaven, but we have a reservation that will stand forever. There's no, there's no being disappointed because they contact you and let you know that your trip has been canceled. Your reservation stands forever in his blood. And then the third great comfort that we see in this passage comes from verse 3. And there's really, uh, there's two parts to this comfort. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, <clears throat> Jesus says he goes and prepares a place for them. As we look at this, we can take this as, as, as the church, not only for them, but he also prepares a place for his church. And something we have to realize, the Bible says that the road to, uh, that leads to heaven, that it's, it's narrow and the gate is also small. But what's astonishing is that there are many rooms, that Jesus says there are many rooms uh, prepared uh, for the believers of God. Now, the way we can understand that is that this verse looks up and down the corridor of time and acknowledges that Christ has prepared a place for his children throughout history. That's why there are many rooms. God has done a wonderful work in preparing a place for us. Now, this place he has prepared for us is greater than our current place. Far greater. Now, I'm not one of these people who look at our world and say this is a horrible world. I, I don't do that. Because why? I have to acknowledge that God created this world. And the work he did was good. So what we have in this world, the blessings that we have, we have to count them. We have to recognize them. And we have to see that God's creation is wonderful and it's good. What's horrible is the sin. But what God has done is a great thing. But no matter what, what we, the, the place that is prepared for us is greater than this current place. Why? Because it is a place of rest. It is a place of rest. Do you 
realize how often, how much you try to rest. It's a lot. I mean, think about it. You sleep from, I mean, average six to eight hours a night. When you wake up from your sleep, do you feel completely rested? Come on, somebody. None at all, right? And the older you get, the worse it gets, right? You don't wake up feeling rested. You don't wake up and you're just like, I'm ready to conquer the world. By noonish, you need another rest. If it's not a little siesta, it's just a little laying down and just, just trying to recollect yourself. I know a lot of people who go to lunch, they eat lunch for like 30 seconds, and then the rest is spent on trying to get some rest. I know when I worked at the plants, that's exactly what I would do. I would eat my lunch real quick. I'd go to my car or stay in my office and just, just, just lay there, try to get some rest and, and re-energized if it, was a, if it was a bad day. Fact is, is that we're always looking for rest. We take vacations to go rest. Then we find out we have to rest from our vacation that we took. And it starts all over again. We're in search of rest and we will not find complete rest until we get to the place that God has prepared for us. That's amazing. Because that's something that people spend millions of dollars on. Enormous amounts of time in. And yet they don't get it to the full here. In heaven, we're going to get rest. Also, in heaven, we're going to have peace. I don't have to go very far into this to know that we struggle with not having peace. I'm not just talking about from nation to nation. I'm talking about just personal relationships. Imagine if there was complete peace in your marriage. How wonderful would that be? Or just complete peace within your family. Complete peace within your brothers and sisters of the church. We have no idea what that's like. But we will one day. Because that's the place that God has prepared for us. It's a place of grand majesty. There are so many things on this earth that I want to see. My brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, they just recently went to the Grand Canyon and they were sending us pictures. Man, I really want to see that place. Never seen it, you know, I've never seen it with my own eyes, just live and up front. I, I want to see that place. I look at that place and it's just, just something about the beauty of that place is just amazing. You can see God's majesty in his creation. But what we are seeing now, the place that God has prepared for us, well, it's going to be this world, but it's going to be exalted. It's going to be perfect. Without any flaw. There's going to be grand majesty there that we can't even fathom in our minds. And it's a place of pure joy. That's something else that we are all seeking. We want to find joy in what we do, our jobs. We want to find joy in our families. We want to find joy in our friendships, our fellowships, our purpose in life. We want to find joy, but yet we struggle against that. In the place that he has prepared for us, there will be no struggle. We want to find security. 
We want to know that we're going to be taken care of. That's already taken care of for us. That place is waiting for us. So the fact that Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, it's not just a, a, a place. It is a place that, that we have never seen before. We have never experienced anything like it before. And we never will until we get there. And not only does he go and prepare a place for us, but he says, I will come back to take you to be with me. He goes and if, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, this is not speaking to the resurrection. He's actually pointing them to something further down the line. And he's not only pointing them, he's also pointing us to when the king returns. When he returns, and, and, and when he returns at the end of days, he will come back and he will lead us home. Now, I want you to notice something throughout this whole sermon. I did not say one time that we were going to escape any kind of struggle, that we were not going to have a horrible time, that we were not going to be without, without the effects of sin. I never promised that. Why? Because Christ never promised that. He just said, do not let your hearts be troubled. As you believe in God, believe also in me. So as you go through your daily life, and as your years come and go, come and go, you need to have your eyes set on Christ. You need to have your minds set on the place that he has prepared for you. It will change your perspective about what you see and how you handle what you go through on this earth. In a world of, full of affliction, of doubt, worry, fear, uncertainty, that is all caused by sin, listen to this very carefully. We have Christ, and he is our ultimate hope for all time. And as Christ told the disciples, in his word he is telling you this morning, do not let your hearts be troubled. Let us pray. Father, we...